Good morning, everybody. I want to ask you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 19. It's found on page 879 of that Pew Bible, page 879. I wonder if you have ever thought about the fact that in the thousands of years of history that God has placed you in this time and in this place. If you like history, if you read history, or if you even watch historical movies, you probably find people or characters that you relate to. You see challenges that might be appealing to you. You think to yourself, I wonder what it would be like if I lived then. <laughs> or maybe even I would desire to live then. But God in his sovereign plan has placed you right here. <laughs> and right now in the middle of Northeast Ohio. You know, I've been thinking a lot about Northeast Ohio lately, and it's interesting, as Amy and I have been here now for a couple of years, and it, it seems like rarely a week goes by where someone doesn't ask us, how do you like it here? And I kind of think to myself, well, we've been here a little while now. It's not all that new anymore, but, but um, we like it. It's great. And people ask the question, and, and there's a couple of different types of people that ask the question. Some of them ask the question almost boldly and brashly, like, isn't it great here? You better say yes. <laughs> but other people come and they ask the question, and it's almost, it's almost, uh, they ask it in a sheepish type of, type of disposition. It's like they want to tell you that they like it, but they almost shouldn't tell you, because it's Youngstown. We shouldn't like it, should we? But they do. And I do. There's a lot of great things to like about the fact that God has placed us in this time and in this place right here, right now. I've been asking around this week to some people in the office, and as I've had a number of appointments, and just randomly, what do you like about this area? And the, the answers have been great. Of course, the number one answer is food. Food, pasta and greens and hot peppers and oil and pizza and pizza and pizza and cookie tables at weddings and Handel's ice cream. And with ethnic diversity, that's another thing that people like, that there's so many ethnic backgrounds represented. With ethnic diversity comes rich traditions, both in families and communities, and comes a variety of food. And we have some great ones, don't we? Some others have said the people here are generally really friendly and polite. I agree with that. Mill Creek Park and hiking, YSU and what it represents, and a good for the community, and education, and football. The Lordstown Chevrolet plant, and the jobs that has created here over the years, and the fact that right here in this area of the country, we still produce products that are shipped throughout the nation and even the world. That's a great thing. It's a great thing to like about this area. The Campfield Fair. Enough said. How about the fact that in Northeast Ohio, you can go from city to suburbs to country in about 20 to 25 minutes? That's a really cool aspect of this area, that you can have a downtown experience, a suburban experience, and a quiet country experience in very close proximity. 
You know, sociologists have a number of different lifestyle categories that they, that they analyze communities by. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Youngstown and Northeast Ohio in general is extremely diverse in terms of lifestyle categories. Out of the 50 segments represented, Northeast Ohio has 34 out of 50 lifestyle segments represented. And that is an incredible benefit, I think, to this community. The other day I was downtown with a, with a friend of mine, one of the members of our church, and he was showing me around the Youngstown Business Incubator. I don't know how familiar you are with what they're doing down there, but it's amazing. Four to 500 people uh, in startup companies in the tech sector, all in this sort of creative hub where they are coached from the place of idea to production to sales to finding capital investors, all in this one little hub in the middle of Youngstown. And, and one of the things that's most exciting about it is that right now, right in downtown Youngstown, there are multiple startup companies that are on the leading edge of 3D printing. I wonder if you know what 3D printing even is. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those things that you see from a distance, but the fact that they make printers that use a variety of materials to create objects for a variety of applications, for parts, 3D printers are building 3D printers even. It's, it's, it's amazing to see the types of things that they're building. And all of that is happening right here in this community of Northeast Ohio. It's a great place to live. And that is why whenever I seem to travel around the country, I always meet someone from Youngstown and they almost all say the same thing. Man, we love Youngstown. And I'm trying to figure out a way in my career path to get back there. The cost of living is cheap, the people are great, there's a lot of great things happening in that community. So despite how great it is, many ways to live here, we know, we know that Northeast Ohio has its difficulties. We know that this is obviously displayed in the remnants of the steel industry and how some parts of this region used to be teeming with life and now are struggling rather significantly. But beyond that, we know that there are some very real relational and spiritual difficulties in this region as well. For example, when researchers studied this area, they found that the marital status of people was unique. Did you know that in this part of Northeast Ohio, when asked the marital status and indicated divorced or widowed, that this area of the country is 23% higher than the national average. Divorced or widowed, 23% higher than the national average. Last week we talked about some of the spiritual dynamics of this area, and of course as Christians that's what we are chiefly interested in, and how 85% of the people in this region of Northeast Ohio would identify themselves as a Christian in some way, or at least sociological category, but in reality, only 46% actually follow the core beliefs of the Bible that faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins results in a relationship with God, both now and in eternity in heaven. 46%. With such a large disjunction of beliefs, 85% saying that they identify as Christian, but only 46% understanding the core of the Christian message, the gospel itself, we see that Northeast Ohio is a place that is spiritually inclined, but also spiritually confused. 
And so we've been asking the question, what does God want? And what does God want of us? What does God want? Well, we were reminded last week from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So God's loving disposition toward all people is a desire for their salvation. This is not in contradiction with his sovereign work in salvation, but that he takes no delight in judgment, that he's patient, that he's extending the time so that more will continue to put their faith in him. What does God want? He desires, he is affectionate for, he longs for humanity to be saved. What does God want of us? Well, we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that like the apostles, God has given all Christians the role of an ambassador as if they are the very mouthpiece of God himself in reconciling the world to himself through this work and person of Jesus. So the sovereign God of the universe has placed you at this time in history and in this geographical location, this time and this place with a purpose, that you would share the good news of Jesus Christ, that he can forgive sins and make you right with him for all eternity. And here you are. I wonder how you're doing at fulfilling that purpose. I mean, it's a big calling. It's an eternal purpose. It supersedes our short-term desires or our plans for our recreation or for our career advancement or for any other number of things. And we're challenged by the fact that maybe, maybe we're not taking this calling seriously enough. I wonder why. Some of it, some of it could be head knowledge. I mean, a recent Barna survey of our region indicated that only 28% of the people in this region strongly agree that we have a responsibility to evangelize, only 28%. So some of it might be head knowledge, but if you were here last week or if you're part of Old North Church for any amount of time, you've come to realize that this is part of the nature of a Christian, to be a disciple who makes disciples. We talk about that a lot. So I don't think that's probably, for this congregation, our biggest problem. I think there might be another reason why we don't take this calling as seriously as we should. And it comes with multiple facets to it. And it relates to our emotions and how our emotions compel us to act. So I want to introduce you to the idea today that part of the reason why we are not as effective spreading the gospel as we could be is maybe because we are not adequately broken for this place. We love this place. We enjoy 
this place. This is the type of place where we wake up some days and we look out the window and we say, the sun is coming up over the trees and this is a reason why I love living in this region of the country. And yet, we are not burdened by the significant spiritual confusion that exists here. What does it mean to be broken for a place? Well, I want to ask you to grab your Bible. I asked you a minute ago to open to Luke chapter 19. And we see in just a few short verses there, Jesus illustrating this very dynamic. Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 41, says this. It says, And when he drew near and saw the city, that's the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, in biblical studies, we not only look at what the text says and what it means and then what it means for us as we're looking at a passage of Scripture, but we also focus on the tonal quality of a passage of the Bible. Because when you ask the question, what is the tone, you know that that changes the meaning, doesn't it? Whether that's in a conversation or whether that's in an email or whether that's in a message. The tone of something contributes to the meaning. What is the tone of this passage? The parade ends. Jesus retreats to the edge of the city and immediately the next scene is found weeping. I would say the tone could be described as desperation or brokenness. Jesus weeps for his people. Where we pick up in Luke is that he has entered the city and a mixture of sorrow and compassion have filled his heart. And that is what being broken really is. It's a mixture of sorrow and compassion at the same time. Jesus had entered the city on what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. People were lining the streets. They were shouting his name. They were laying their palm branches down. They were saying the fulfillment, the fulfillment of prophecy has come. And yet, at the very same time, he knew what was about to happen. He knew that just a week later that those same people would turn on him and crucify him. And he knew that their outward expressions in the moment, their general affinity toward the things of God were not backed by a genuine faith in the Son of God. He was coming to die for them. And his heart gained and contained sorrow and compassion for them. He wanted them desperately to get it. He wanted them to be reconciled to God 
but they would not put their faith in him. And so we see in verse 41 that as he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And the nuance of that word for weeping here is very strong. It communicates an inner turmoil in a person that results or brings them to the point of sobbing or wailing. This is the type of pain a parent feels when they're watching their child destroy their life. This is a type of intense sorrow that happens when you lose a loved one suddenly. This is the reality that sets in when there is absolutely nowhere else to turn. Jesus weeps over these people. He's not indifferent toward them. They're sealing their faith through their unbelief. And the result is that he is broken for them. Why? Why is he broken? Well, he's broken for them because he understands the consequences of their choice. He knows the consequences, even if they don't. And those consequences bring him to a place of intense sorrow. In this case, the consequences for Jerusalem will be an immediate judgment of God in which couple of years down the line, the Roman Empire will come in in 70 AD and decimate the city of Jerusalem. And the picture that we see in verse 44 is very graphic. Look at it with me. It says in verse 43 that they will hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. If you were to close your eyes for a moment and you were trying to visualize the picture that Jesus is painting, you would see two things, bodies and ruins. Complete destruction, total loss. He's broken for them because he understands the consequences of their actions. Jesus knows what they have decided about him and that as in verse 44, that they have, rec they have rejected the time of their visitation. That is to say, they have rejected the fact that the Son of God was in their very midst with the message of God and the salvation of God. And now I can imagine that Jesus could think to himself something along a very different line. He could think to himself along this line of rejection, something like this. They were told about the, God, the plan of God for many years. They've been told about the coming of the Messiah. They've been told even more specifically about me, he could say. And now they've seen me in the flesh. The most blessed people in history to see the eternal Son of God in the flesh. They've seen demonstrations of God's power and the miracles. They've heard God's word spoken as that very son of God has spoken it. They have had an opportunity for reconciliation because truth has been laid right in front of them. And they've rejected it. 
Now they get what they deserve. The consequences of their actions are coming. They get what's coming to them. And in my flesh, that's probably how I would respond. And that response, I would imagine, would lead to a sense of indifference toward their eternal state. But Jesus doesn't respond that way. He weeps over them as he's broken. Likewise, I wonder if any of you have ever thought to yourself about a friend or a neighbor that you come in contact with, or the 54% of the people in this region of Northeast Ohio who do not have saving faith in Christ, if you've ever thought to yourself, well, he lives in a Christian country, he lives in a Christianized region of the country, he has access to dozens of churches, he has three Bibles on on a shelf, he could even listen to Christian radio. He was told the truth of God, and he's chosen to reject it. He's had a chance to respond to it, and now he has to live with the consequences of his choice. Have you ever thought that before? And that results in indifference toward the eternal state of the person in consideration. And whether you've thought that before or not, I think if we're honest, this is the logic that the vast majority of us live by. This is the logic of a culture of tolerance in the Western world. Maybe you don't follow it all the way through to its logical end, but imagine that for 80 80 or 90% of us here today, our lives reflect that sort of logic. And when that happens, when we say, well, you make your choice and I'll make mine, and you live with the consequences of your choice and I'll live with the consequences of mine, the result or the disposition that that creates in us is indifference toward the spiritual and eternal state of the people around us. And when we become indifferent, we abandon our role as God's ambassadors. And that is why less than half the people in Northeast Ohio have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. What does God want? What does he want for Mahoning County and Columbiana County and Trumbull County and Mercer County, Pennsylvania? What does he want? He wants that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.4. That he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live, Ezekiel 33. And now, if there is anyone who should be indifferent toward the people of Northeast Ohio, it's God. <laughs> If there's anyone who should be indifferent toward the people of Jerusalem in the first century, it's Jesus. And yet, at the very same time, he weeps and he wails and he sobs over their destruction. If there's anyone who should be indifferent to the 54% of people around us who are lost, it's God. People have had chance after chance after chance. And yet, the scripture tells us that he is patient with them, not wanting any to be lost but for all to be saved, 2 Peter 3. 
This is God's missional heart for the lost, friends. Jesus weeps and he mourns over their destruction. And that same heart disposition or longing or brokenness has been taken up by followers of Jesus Christ for now centuries because they ask the simple question, what does God want? He wants all people to be saved. And they respond by saying, if that's what God wants, then that's what I want. And it moves way up the list on my desires and my wants. That no longer is that second or third or fourth or 15th on the list. But if that is the chief importance to God, then it's going to be the chief importance to me. And they align their desires with God's desires. And in the process of that alignment, God breaks their heart for their place. Why? Because he's put them in their time and in their place for a purpose. And so if you're honest, would you say that you're broken for the lost around you? Or are you struggling with indifference? Romans chapter 9 shows us an example that this is not just a supernatural disposition of God, but actually that this is the disposition of Christians as well. The Apostle Paul demonstrates in Romans chapter 9, 1 through 5, when he speaks of the Jews who had rejected Jesus. Romans 9 is the starting of this new section in the book in which he's talking about God's sovereign purposes and salvation and his unconditional election of the lost. And he makes his brokenness apparent to all when he says this in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. It was the Jews who were persecuting Paul. It was the Jews who were trying to kill Paul. If anybody had the right to be indifferent toward their eternal spiritual state, it was Paul. And yet, instead of indifference, he is utterly broken for his people. So much so that he even goes so far as to express this in the most severe terms, that he himself would rather suffer the consequences of their unbelief than have them suffer for themselves. Why is he broken for them? Because he understands the consequences. The consequences of unbelief in Jesus and his saving work is the full and complete judgment of our sins. God gives us exactly what we ask for. Judge me on my merits, God. Okay, I will. Which results in eternal damnation in hell. Paul uses the term cursed to describe this eternal state. And I know that the topic of hell is not one that we like to talk about all that often, 
But if you don't understand, number one, that it is real, <laughs> number two, that it is the consequence of unbelief in Jesus, and number three, that the Bible talks about hell in a variety of ways, if you don't understand at least these simple things about hell, then you will never really be broken for your place or for your people. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Friends, when you want what God wants, he breaks your heart for the lost around you because you understand the consequences. When you want what God wants, he breaks your heart for the lost around you because you understand the consequences. We live in a time of history that is marked by indifference. Tolerance in its cultural expression leads toward indifference toward your friends and toward your neighbors and toward anybody you come in contact with about their eternal state. Did you get that? The idea that is so propped up around us of tolerance that is skewed into essentially a form of universalism, it leads to indifference for the well-being of your friends and neighbors. Why? Because you can bump shoulders, because you can smile, because you can wave, because you can talk about the weather or talk about what your kids are up to, but you can never truly get to the important stuff in life. And after a while, you might even be tempted to think or you might even convince yourself that the deep and important stuff of God and saving faith in Jesus really isn't all that important for them. It's important for you, and you'd stake your claim on it, but is it really that important for them? And before you know it, you find yourself in a place of spiritual indifference toward all the people around you, because we've been trained to function that way. But here's the thing, when you want what God wants, he breaks your heart for the because you know the consequences. And if you're here today and you're hearing about this, experiencing this disposition of God's grace and love for the very first time, and as a result, the weight of your own sin or being judged on your own merits is something that is starting to feel heavy, then the good news for you is that it is not too late, that you do not have to be like one of the 85% of people in Northeast Ohio that, that identifies loosely with an affinity toward God but really does not have faith in Christ. Today can be the day where you make a true and genuine faith commitment to him to say, I need you. I can't pay this penalty on my own. Please forgive me. And if you do have your faith in Christ, you recognize that very plainly you are largely indifferent toward the eternal state of people around you, then I have good news for you. That God has made you an ambassador for him, that he has placed you in this time in history and in this geographical region of the country with an eternal purpose in mind, and that purpose supersedes all of the superficial stuff that we pursue all the time. What does he want of you? He wants you to be his very mouthpiece. 
part of that rule is being broken for your place. Now you might say, Pastor Nick, I don't feel broken for this place. I don't feel broken for the people around me. But I want to. How does God nurture that within me? Let me give you a couple of simple suggestions. If you are not broken for this place, if you find yourself in a place of spiritual indifference toward those around you, then my greatest encouragement would be to first pray and ask for forgiveness for your indifference. Because you know the consequences mentally, but you are not feeling it emotionally, and therefore you're paralyzed physically. Number two, thank God on high for your own salvation. That while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you because you do understand the consequences of your own life. And when you begin to feel them, the sacrifice of Jesus is put into a completely new light. Number three, follow what 2 Corinthians 5 says. Let Christ's love and a healthy fear of God compel you to take up your role as an ambassador. And as you do, start looking at all the people around you through spiritual eyes. That no longer do you look at them by form of status or physical stature or beauty or ugliness or wealth or poverty. That you understand that God has you in this time and this place for a purpose and that the people around you are spiritual and eternal beings. There's a couple of things that you can do very practically to help you with that. I would encourage you to consider buying a map and putting a circle around your sphere of influence. We have multiple maps in the lobby. You'll notice one in the front lobby. You'll notice one back here outside of the children's wing. A map just helps you give a visual representation of this place and this time that God has put you in. And you see all the dots on this map represent the families of Old North. And you can zoom in a little bit more and you can see how it's peppered throughout this community of Northeast Ohio. And I wonder if every single household represented there, plus the ones who've never filled out a Connect card or decided they want to be part of our database, if all of those would say, I am going to look at all the people in my sphere of influence through spiritual eyes and make it a mission to start actually talking about Jesus with them. The results would be amazing. Number four, ask God to break your heart for these people. This is not something that comes of our own flesh. When God breaks your heart for a region, whether that's Lebanon and Syria, or whether that's Northeast Ohio, it is a supernatural occurrence that happens within It wasn't that long ago that I was not broken for this place. But when God breaks your heart for a place, or when you ask him to break your heart for a place, 
he's going to do it. Why? Because when you want what God wants, that's what he does. He breaks your heart for them because you understand the consequences. He breaks your heart for them because he loves them. And he gives you a similar love for them. Today, as another tool to help you in this, to start thinking about our region and to start thinking about people in our region, you're gonna find a little card in that pew back in front of you called Pray Three. Why don't you grab one right now? And what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to write down and to keep that with you three people who are in your sphere of influence who don't know Jesus Christ that you want to start praying for with consistency. And I have some caveats because I know how we work. Number one, they can't be part of your family. You can pray for them too, but they're not part of the list. Number two, these are not people who are far away in other parts of the country. Pray for them too, but they're not part of the list. Pray for three people, friends, neighbors, colleagues, co-workers, who you come in contact with some regularity that God would give you a unique heart for them and their eternal spiritual condition, that you would have gospel opportunity in conversation with them, that God in his divine power would be softening their hearts and opening their minds and helping them to see of their own spiritual need, and that you would be looking for the opportunity for conversation. And as you do, number five, invest. Dig deep roots and begin to function in the new reality that God has given you as an ambassador, as a missionary, as one with an incredible message of hope and of the dire consequences of eternity for those who reject it. And know that this is for the long run. That gospel conversations, you don't need to have this sort of superficial pressure to seal the deal on the first time. That people don't work that way, generally speaking. That over the course of time and interaction and consistent witness that God uses ambassadors to do incredible things as his mouthpiece. This is for the long run. Man, we need help, don't we? I know I do. Friends, when you want what God wants, he breaks your heart for the lost because you understand the consequences. And so part of turning up the spiritual or evangelistic temperature at Old North is to start thinking about the community around us very differently. Think about the great things that we love about it, but think about this community and these people through spiritual eyes and then saying, what does God Let's pray together and ask for his help, shall we? Father God, we pray just very simply now that you would be engaging us in this supernatural work of sorrow and compassion that leads to brokenness. And that out of this emotional place, when combined with the mental or logical place of knowing the good news of Jesus, 
that more gospel action and opportunity would emerge. For the sake of your glory.